Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. Good morning, and welcome to Bodies and Souls. Your hosts for today are Rifki Boyarski and Sarah Lowenthal. Today, we have Mushki Zaltzman here with us all the way from Toronto. So I love telling people like my personal connection with people, but I'm not sure what my personal connection is with Mushki because I can't remember if she was my student or I taught her peers of her age, but I think that's how we originally met. But Mushki and I have interacted over the years, and it's always a pleasure to hear from Mushki, see Mushki, and I'm so excited that you're all getting to hear her perspective on davening. So Mushki, before we start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in Chinuch and particularly in tefillah? I am a teacher. I've been teaching junior high for Hashem for the past 15 years. Tefillah is always something that, you know, meant a lot to me. Uh, tefillah, official tefillah, and tefillah just, you know, talking to Hashem personally. In my classroom, I make a very, very big deal of tefillah. I make a, I created a tefillah program. I make a mother-daughter, you know, get together uh, with the theme being tefillah to try to instill in the students the same love and excitement and energy in davening. Thank you, Mushki. And I just want to pipe in here also because I know Mushki because we both live in Toronto and Mushki moved to the city a lot after I did. And I have just been amazed at the way that she takes initiative. If there is a need, if there's Tarsa Mishpacha classes, a hackle gathering, a hackle gathering that includes hundreds of ladies from across the city, from all different types of communities, Mushki's at the center of that. And Mushki, I want to publicly thank you for the work that you do for Toronto. It has really been special to see you in action. You do not wait for someone to ask you to do things. On your own, you see that there is a need, there's a gap, and you do it yourself. And I personally learned from that. And I think the whole community of Toronto has benefited from, from who you are. Um, you but going so back to Tzvila, I hope I didn't publicly embarrass you, but going back to Tzvila, you mentioned that Tzvila is something that's really important to you as a middle school teacher, that you take it seriously and you emphasize it with your students. Why? Where did this come from? I know that probably all educators can talk about one area that they feel passionate about. Why is Tfila your area? Um, so I have to say, I should have mentioned this in the beginning, that I agreed to do this podcast with Ilan Nishan, my father, and um, I think a big part of this is that I had tremendous role models. And as a small kid growing up, Tfila was always something that was very, very important. Um, I remember I must have been like six or seven years old. Show was over on a Shabbos afternoon. And, um, you know, the men have this Fabrengan. I'm looking for my father. I couldn't find him. My father was the rev of the show. Many times he would leave the Fabrengan. But on that particular Shabbos, I could not find him. And uh, next door to our show, there was a Chishakailo. They finished earlier than, than our show. And, you know, I, there's like a door that connects the shows. And I went there and I saw my father wrapped up in a talus. I saw him. He didn't see me. And as a young child, I just have this image of watching him, Davin. He was up the Shema. And the way he was saying the words so slowly and pausing and humming and thinking, um, that that stayed with me forever. Um, 
I used to wake up in the morning as a young child used to come down for breakfast before school, and my mother would say the brachas, you know, Baruch Hashem, every word, Hanaisem, Asachvi, Vina, and we would say Amen. You know, there was a, there was an emphasis on davening um, that was just instilled within me from a very very young age, um, and throughout the years I saw how tefillah is so central to you know being a yid and serving Hashem that you know I. I want to give that over to my students and my children and people I encounter. I have to say that my mother, when she calls me up and she asks me, how's school doing? How are your students doing? She'll always ask, how's her davening? To her, that's like the um, engraving line. That's like, if if this is a good year, if they're growing, they're davening well. So that's her question. You know, how are they davening? And, you know, that impacted me a lot in how I do davening and uh, my relationship with davening. I love that. And I'm actually, you're speaking about both your mother and your father, and I'm picturing them and any of our listeners who are from LA and know Mushki's parents. I think this adds like another layer of flavor to this conversation and such a beautiful thing that you had role models that really gave this over to you properly. I have a question. Obviously, as a Lubavitcher chassid, um, chassid is colors you're thinking about Tvila. So it's not just, you know, I need to daven because I need to daven and we don't start our day until we daven. What is the thought process that colors Tvila from a perspective of Hasidus? I think a big part of this is, I mean, we can, this can be answered on many levels, but Hasidus teaches us that Tvila is not just asking Hashem for what we need, um, but primarily Hasidus says Tvila's connection. Tefillah is connecting to Hashem. And, you know, with each tefillah we say, like, we're connecting to Hashem on a deeper level. And, and tefillah is that journey in connecting to Hashem. Now, I don't want to sound all spiritual. It's just on, on a very practical level. When, when tefillah is part of our life and part of our day, we have, um, you know, the Rebbe actually said this in a sticha, comparing tefillah with the English translation of prayer, right? Prayer, you know, you ask for what you need. Tefillah, we have set times in our day which are like renewing and strengthening that connection that could get weakened throughout the you know day to day just weary <laughs> parts of life. So um, that's why that, that that's how Chassidus explains Tefillah, um, and that's why Tefillah uh, is so central to all of our Avodas Hashem. But I also think that um, even in asking, of course, a huge part of Tefillah is asking for what we need. Chassidus you know, kind of twist this and gives us the perspective that we're asking for what we need to serve Hashem, right? We say, we tell Hashem, do it for you. Give us this for you so we could serve you. So, you know, we need to be healthy so we could do our Vajas Hashem and serve Hashem. We need to raise our family with the Nuchas Nefesh. We need to have the Parnasa, whatever it is a person needs in their life. Um, when we look at it from the perspective Hasidus, we're asking Hashem to give this to us so we could be yidden and we could serve Hashem, you know, in the best way possible. And um, another another really important aspect is, I think, Hasidus talks so much about how Hashem loves every yid. And when we recognize that, um, we never feel like insignificant or unworthy. Like, how can I talk to Hashem? How can I ask Hashem for what I need? You know, there's this, this relationship. Like, Hashem loves me so much. Hashem wants me to dive into Him. and um, Hashem, Hashem wants to give me what I need. And when we approach tefillah in that, with that mindset, it, ha- it takes on a whole other meaning. 
So Mushki, I have a question for you. So we kind of said tefillah isn't prayer, right? So the, the translation, if you think about it, is not the same as what we think it is. So then you went into the whole thing about what Hasidus does say it. If you put what Hasidus says tefillah is into one sentence, what would that one sentence be? Tefillah's connection. Actually, the program that I referred to in the beginning of this, I made a, a program for my students about davening because davening is something, you know, a lot of kids struggle with and parents and teachers all how, how should we inspire our, our students to daven? And I thought a lot about what should be the name of this program. And I called it Tefillah My Connection because I think that's what it really boils down to if I'm going to put it to one of us. Tefillah is our connection and our relationship with Hashem. It's the foundation of that relationship. And if that is strong, uh, if we have that in place, you know, we'll be able to withstand uh, all the things going on around us and, and remain connected and remain strong. That's amazing. Thank you, Mushki. Uh, I um, uh, Could you just be quiet? Sorry. Mushki, that was very yeah. succinct, saying that it was connection. Thank you for that. That really focuses us about what Sfila is. I'm curious about how you mentioned that your mother asks about the davening of your students. That's she's asking about their davening, right? Not yours. Right. So why? Why is she asking about that? What it, does davening symbolize something greater? What is it that she's really asking? Okay, so I'm gonna answer that question with a story. Um, because sometimes a story will give us a better understanding. In one of my earlier years of teaching, um, there was I teach seventh grade. So seventh grade is not the easiest age. The kids are going through a lot of things. And there was one child who was going through a specifically difficult personal journey. There was nothing on the outside that the uh, administration was able to say, oh, you know, there's a family issue or trauma that they knew about. And it just seemed that this girl was, you know, rebelling. Um, and challenging and asking a lot of questions. And the principal said to me before the year started, she said, you know, this girl's gone through a challenging time. Um, I don't want you to get into any power struggles with her about davening, about even SNES and, you know, uniform. She said, there have been teachers who've been teaching for many years, you know, seasoned mechanchais who have been trying to deal with this child because you are relatively new at this. Just leave her, let her be. And of course, I respected my principal. I respected her wishes, although I was idealistic at the time. And of course, you know, you want to solve all the issues and be able to inspire all your students. But I did, you know, for the most part, let her be. And I would watch her every day by davening. She had her chitas clothes. Of course, the principal spoke to her. She wasn't allowed to disturb, but she would not open up her chitas. She would not open up her siddur. And she just sat there in the class. It was Teves. My father uh, had a twin brother. Uh, my uncle Yassi, who had passed away, and it's going to be his 15th yard site coming up actually in one month, which is just close for him as well. And I wanted to do something, I was very, very touched. I was in seminary, I spent time in his house by his davening. Um, he had something with his lungs, so it was hard for him. Like, you it was clear that it was hard for him to dive in. You saw how, like, saying a lot of words, he had to take a breath in between his his words, and he would still sit on the porch of his house, saying every single word, and it really impacted me. And I decided I want to do something for him uh, in the area of davening, and I started a davening incentive in my classroom. 
And I explained to my students, I told them about my uncle, I told them what davening was to him and how it inspired me and how we're going to have this incentive with prizes uh, for, you know, extra beautiful davening, looking inside a siddur, you know, saying the words out loud, et cetera, et cetera. And for the first time this year, that year, this girl opened up her siddur. Um, you know, I, I was I was very taken. I was very touched. She was a she was a sweet girl. She had a very good heart, and she obviously something touched her about you know doing it for my uncle. And she decided she was going to do it. Whatever issue she was going through, she still took this on. Um, and after davening, she came up to me and she said, you know, for your uncle, I'll daven. You know, she really had a good heart. And the next day she davened. The next day she davened. The next day and it was Tuesday. So it was still a good part of the year left. From the davening, everything else turned over. It was like what she was like in the classroom. Um, you, you know, the, the rules. Now, I'm not going to say in one day she davened and now she like her buttons were always closed and her elbows were always covered. But it was like the opening. It was the beginning of her being open and receptive to hear, to understand, to listen, and to take in. And she really ended off the year in a very good place. She actually, the next year, won the Davening Award in school. And the, and her mother called me. She knew how much this meant to me. Her mother called me from camp to tell me that her daughter won the uh, best camper, not of her bunk, but of the whole camp. Um, and the best camper is not just in one area. This is a girl who across the board was thriving. She went into high school. I remember thinking like her teachers have no clue of what her journey was. You you were not able to see it on her. And today this girl is Baruch Hashem married with children and is a teacher herself. Uh, and, um, you know, when I think of the story, I think that's what it boils down to. Why is my mother asking me, how are the girls davening? Because davening, it, it shows on so much more than just the davening. Now I'm not going to take the credit and say, well, this girl started davening and her whole life turned around. There were a lot of people involved. Her mother worked very, very, the, her parents, I'm sure gave her a lot of more working with the school. And I'm sure other teachers inspired her. And there was a bit of she was very, very close to who, you know, w- would talk to her, et cetera. But I think the davening was like that start off. It was like, as soon as she opened herself up to davening to form that relationship with Hashem, I felt like she was receptive and she was able to get everything else. And literally, she turned around 360 degrees. Um, and, you know, the Rebbe actually says in my union, the beginning, he had the beginning of one's downfall in Yiddishkeit is the lack of a vaidan davening. The Rebbe does not say, not davening. The Rebbe says lack of a vaidan davening. It's, it's the lack of the energy, the lack of the connection of the davening, feeling apathetic towards davening, that affects all of one's Yiddishkeit. And I think we could turn that around and say it in a positive way. When we can inspire ourselves, when we can inspire our students, when we can inspire our children in their davening, what we're doing is we're inspiring their relationship with Hashem. And when they have that personal relationship with Hashem, all of their Yiddishkeit will be elevated from there. I love that story. And I think um, I'm thinking to myself, is it because she now had an active relationship with Hashem? Is it because she, you know, the foundation of any relationship is the communication and she was actively communicating? Is it because that was her channel of getting the blessings? Like it could be a whole bunch of different spaces in which we could say, look, this is why Tefillah made a difference. But I wonder why, why let's crystallize for ourselves. Why is davening so foundational in, in Yiddishkeit in Judaism? Why is this, why are we saying that this is the marker of where a relationship is standing? 
you know, if we think about any relationship, like, you know, you hear on these shallow bias classes, right? You could be married, but there could be a lack of connection. Of course, you're connected, you're married, but that emotional connection, the, the inner connection, um, and there could be levels of depth in connection. And that's why we'll hear this advice all the time, right? Spend time with your husband, right? Take time, go out together, make sure, you know, um, eye contact, right? It's, it's about connecting, like really connecting on an emotional level, connecting deeply. And when it comes to tefillah, I think that plays that role. Um, we start off our day with tefillah, like we are establishing this day as having a deep relationship with Hashem. We're just talking to Hashem. And okay, we'll talk a little bit later. What about a busy mother? And, you know, doesn't have so much time for that. But at whatever level the tefillah is, we are establishing a relationship, a personal relationship, a connection to Hashem, uh, uh, emotional connection to Hashem in the beginning of our day. And that's going to take us through the day. Um, the Atarebbe compares tefillah to the spinal cord. Just like um, the spinal cord is what gives life to the organs and the limbs even though it's not considered one of them, it's the foundational one, right? It's what gives life to everything. And so too, the author of it says that tefillah is not counted as one of the 248 positive commandments, although it is a chiyuv, it is an obligation to daven. It's one of the sister Rabbanan. Um, it is like that spinal cord. It's what's giving life to the rest of the mitzvah. It's what's giving life to the rest of our Vedas Hashem. It's what's giving life to the rest of our Yiddish guide. So it's such a important factor. In, it's not just one of the mitzvahs, it is the spinal cord that's holding everything together. And, um, you know, it's actually explained, it's like a, an animal that has a spinal cord that's damaged, is not kosher, because the life of the animal is missing. If the spinal cord is damaged and the rest of the limbs are not able to, to get their life from that, um, it's lacking in a dead animal is not kosher. Um, so in the same way, the, the, the author was saying that Someone who does all the mitzvahs, but they're missing tefillah, it's like their mitzvahs are, so to speak, dead. They're missing life. That that connection, if we think about this, like we think about relationships with people in our lives, there are relationships that are vibrant, there are relationships that are deep, there are relationships that, like, you know, you, you're so connected, and there are relationships that just are. Um, we talk about a yid connection to Hashem, you know, we always want to uh, deepen that relationship in whatever way we can. As you're speaking, there's a tagline at in the office of a chiropractor that I go to that says, your spine is your lifeline. People ignore their spine. And yet these chiropractors are very insistent that they can crack you and align you and your whole entire body will feel different. So they say, it's a fabulous, fabulous muscle. Thank you for sharing that. I do want to ask, though. So you're emphasizing the inner relationship that we have, this connection that we're creating. You compare it to a man and a woman, and you talk about how we need to feel close to Hashem, and we accomplish that through davening. But how realistic is it to have kavana every single day when we daven to think about that level of attachment? Okay, so that's a good question, <laughs> and I'll have to answer it honestly, um, not just theoretically, but I think it's important to note, it depends who's listening to this, right? So there are different stages in life when someone's a single girl, when someone's a married woman, when someone has a bunch of little kids, when someone's past that stage. Um, 
And that's why each person who hears this answer really has to be honest with themselves and, you know, ask themselves, where, where do I find myself? Like someone who is single, um, you know, maybe could take the time to, you know, listening to this and saying, you know, maybe I could focus a little more on my davening. Maybe I could try to find a moment of connection, you know, while I'm davening it. Maybe I could find a place instead of walking around when I'm davening or davening on the bus or davening, you know. Um, maybe I could, you know, eat before I daven, uh, think of something, you know, there's so many like inspirational things going on. Just listen to something quickly just to put me in a good mind frame, read the story. So it really depends who's listening to this. But then there's the people um, maybe that are in my stage of life, um, Baruch Hashem, and like Baruch Hashem, busy with a, a family and a bunch of little kids. And I'm not going to take away, of course, the ultimate is to have Kavana and Davening. And of course, Kavana is a Vaidash of And um, we talk about connection, uh, you know, coming from the heart. Um, but that doesn't take away from just saying the words of Davening. And you're going to ask, how does that work? You just said through those connections. So if you like, you know, imagine your husband tells you something with like no meaning and it's like, oh, that doesn't mean anything to me. It's like, you know, what's that? Um, but when it comes to Tzila, um, you know, Chassidus teaches us that there is a value in just the words. And actually, the Balshanta says that we don't repeat. Like, let's say someone said something and they're like, oh my gosh, I was just so spaced out. I was thinking about what I'm making for dinner. And I didn't even realize I said that paragraph. Let me say it again. The Balshanta says we don't repeat what we missed, what we said without Kavana. To repeat it, to say it again with Kavana, unless it's right, there's certain parts, except for like Pesach Gedecha and the, um, the first line of Shema and the first Brach of Shemanesrei. But otherwise, we don't repeat it. And the reason for that is, Vashon says, because then we're saying that there is no value to the davening that was said without Kavana. And the truth is, there is value. So again, it's very important to know, um, like, where you are and being honest, where, what stage are you at? And what is realistic for, uh, like you're saying, is it realistic? But I want to, say, and I don't have a basis for this, it's just my own personal thing. I think that the kavana of, I'm just going to davana. Um, you know, I know for myself, Hashem has helped me. I've never missed a day of davening. And davening whatever, you know, however much and each person on their own level, but just the kavana of, I'm going to take a few minutes now to daven. I think that in itself is a kavana. I've heard the Lubavitcher Rebbe um, advise, it's like on a video, uh, interview someone who's having a hard time, you know, think about one paragraph of davening. Try to focus on, on one idea, one brach of while you're saying it. But I want to say that even if that doesn't happen, right, you have a mother and her kids are pulling her outside and they're like, you know, this and that and who knows what going on in her life at that moment. And she finishes the and she's like, oh boy, that whole thing just flew by me and I didn't even think about what I'm saying. I still think the fact that she took the time to daven to be, you know, to establish that connection or to strengthen that connection does a lot for the relationship, um, even without the meaning. So, of course, the ultimate is the kavana. And, of course, when we could, it's beautiful to have. And, you know, if we're ever in a, in a place, in a time, um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But that shouldn't take away. A person should not say, okay, I don't have the time. I don't have the mind space to really put myself in a daven properly. So I'm just going to skip it. The davening itself has meaning. The davening itself is powerful. The davening itself accomplishes, right? Like 
this is the way I'm seeing. You know, when I think about our relationship with Hashem, I'm just like thinking about a husband and wife. Imagine it's your birthday and, you know, there's so many things. Your husband has a huge project going on in business or in his life or in wherever it is. And he just, he, he's not able to sit down and write you a beautiful card for your birthday, but he still comes home and he says, you know, so much has been going on. I, I didn't have the time to sit and write a card, but, you know, I still stopped off and I bought you this gift, right? Will that still be meaningful versus like, forgot about your birthday altogether or saying, oh, I didn't have time. You know, I didn't feel overwhelmed at work, right? I'm here. I'm present. I'm giving you something. I'm giving you what I have to offer. That's how at the davening of uh, someone who's really well, a mother who's really, really busy, a woman who just, you know, can't have that focus. It's like, we're, we're still taking that time to focus on Hashem. And we're saying, Hashem, I'm giving you what I can offer. And Hashem, no, the greatest blessing and the greatest myth was taking care of the, the, the children or doing whatever holy work a woman's doing and taking care of her family. And, you know, I think that is so meaningful to Hashem. I want to say one more thing is that when we have davening in our daily routine and it is there, there are going to be days that, you know, it's just the feelings will just come. Like, um, even if not every single day, some days it's just going to maybe be a mumble jumble and some days it's just going to pass through us. But because it's already implanted in our day, the foundation is there, the base is there. And when there is a day that there's something we're very grateful for or something we're feeling we just really need to ask Hashem for, we'll have that outlet because it's already in our and it's already in our schedule. So we won't be searching for it. It's, it's already there. And sometimes you're surprised, like, at least, like I'm surprised. Sometimes I'm like the middle of davening and, you know, a, a certain emotion or a certain feeling will come. And again, not every day and not all the time. But, you know, of gratefulness, of thinking I suffer something, and it would come to me. And I think that comes because, because our davening is in, is in our schedule. Because we put it there, we're, we're opening up that space for that relationship and that connection. So, yeah, I do want to be honest. No, my davening is not with Kavan on a day-to-day basis. Do I try to, you know, focus here and there, think of maybe one feeling, think of one thing, you know, during some point during when I say, like, actually focus my mind? Absolutely. And are there days that I'm able to, you know, feel more connected? Absolutely. But we should not take away of the, the tremendous uh, power that Sila holds, uh, no matter how it's said and when it's said and where it's said. So funny. So I sometimes like write notes as we're talking and I was writing notes as you were talking and I just found this really strong parallel through everything you're speaking about the communication and the relationship and the connection. And it's just so much similar to what we hear. And it's almost coming out of our ears when we talk about like a husband and a wife, schedule date night, schedule time. Um, You know, even if you show up without all the intentions and without everything, you still showed up and that's what really counts. And I find that this is such a strong parallel that we we understand this in a relationship between a husband and wife and really and truly a, you know our relationship as yidin as jews with hashem is the same it that is the parallel so for uh, for you to share that connection i think makes this such a powerful down-to-earth practical experience for us because we're really we're showing up we're showing up for the most important relationship in our lives so i think I, you know, you speak about making this a daily occurrence, but I think for people who don't have it as a daily occurrence, a lot of times they turn to Hashem when the going gets tough. And there's a point where the going gets tough and when you turn to Hashem and you dive in and you feel it, you know, deep in your kishkas almost, you feel it in the deepest way possible. But sometimes the pain is so, so great that you can't 
even feel anything past the anger. And I'm going to share a story and I'm not going to share it with a name. There was someone who is um, close to me who um, after she was young, she was a young mother. She had four children and she was diagnosed with a very severe form of cancer. And in order for her to have the treatment, she knew she would never have any more children. And for someone who really valued having more children, this hurt her in the deepest way. And she found out the news on a Friday, um, a Friday afternoon, right before Shabbos. And she went to bench Licht and she broke down as she was benching Licht. And she got so angry at Hashem that she turned around and took a sitter off the table and she threw it at her husband. She said, I don't want this anymore. I don't know what's happening. If Hashem, you know, like she couldn't, she couldn't get past her pain to even access that connection. And I wonder like what we tell people in the moment of pain where it's greater than I, I feel this in my kishkas and I know that I need to turn to Hashem when it's past that pain, when it's even more severe, what do we tell people about connecting to Hashem and connecting to Domini and connecting to Tfilas in those moments where you feel this overwhelming pain? Okay, so that's a very difficult question, to be very honest. And I, I think that it's important to realize that there's a lot that someone has to tell themselves. To go to someone who's suffering and going through tremendous pain that uh, we have not Baruch Hashem had ourselves, that you have not gone through yourself, and to tell them, you know, um, Hashem is there for you. Hashem cures you for you. You no, know, I don't think, it's not becoming right. So I don't think we have any right, and I think that's a very important point. We don't have any right to tell people, but I think if someone's listening and right now they feel like a disconnection from this relationship because they're not getting what to them is the basics and it really it is the basics right the basics is health and the basics is you know a sense of well-being and 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 if you feel like you can't even access that that's a very painful spot to be in and people do feel and i think that we have to you know as a person listening obviously we're not preaching to anyone but as a person listening how do we find our way into getting that connection if someone is in that amount of pain Right. Okay. So that's, first of all, a very important point. This is about what we tell ourselves, not what we tell others. I do think it's also important to, to know that every person deals with pain differently. And it would be unfair for me to say, oh, this is what I think, right? Every person has their own journey. And also there are different levels of pain, like Rahman Rahman, what you're describing, a woman who's going through a terrible mock with four little kids and, you know, has the treatment would not enable her to be have more kids. And you could really feel that that anger, Islam, you know, love of someone who lost a parent at a very, very young age, or some Rahman lost a child. You're talking about levels of trauma that are so so deep that, you know, sometimes a person is not ready to dive in and they have to deal through whatever they're going through. Um, you know, and each person themselves, and I definitely would not would not be the one to say, you know, this is what should be done or shouldn't be done. But I'll talk I'll talk for myself. I'll, you know, I'll share something personal that will hopefully maybe connect, um, you know, to someone listening or, or, or give them a little inspiration if they, if they feel that this relates to them. So I lost my father a year and a half ago and, you know, my father was young. My father was 68 and, uh, that feel that you're describing, you know, from the depth of your heart, that's like literally going through your kishkas, you know, that's, that's what I was feeling when we were adopting for him. And it was completely devastating in, in every way. But I was in school when it happened and I had to get home. So I drove myself home and I was crying and crying the whole way home, you know, 
completely just shattered. And I found myself just subconsciously, I don't even, it wasn't, I wasn't thinking, but I just found myself just saying Tehillim on my way home. Like I was memorizing the Tehillim that I knew by heart. Almost in the same fervorish way I was saying it, um, you know, I have this like recollection on the Thursday Friday that my father was like having a decline and he was putting him on a ventilator with like Minister Shabbat. I was driving home and I was like saying, tell him it's like, like fervorish man. Like I couldn't say it with a, enough devotion or, or I couldn't get enough out of my mouth, just like begging Hashem. And I thought myself in that same situation, thank to Helen that same way after my father passed away. And again, this is very personal. Everybody, you know, responds differently. And I, in the car, it's like you're almost not thinking. And I wondered, to myself, like, why am I saying to Helen, right? Like, isn't this over? Like, what's this to Helen? But for some reason, it was such an instinct and, and I almost couldn't stop. And um, at a later point, because I really couldn't think of it then and I couldn't think through my thoughts everything was just so turned over. But at a later point, you know, it hit me. And I was thinking to myself that sometimes we doubt Hashem because we are so grateful for something. We're thinking Hashem. Someone's engaged, right? Someone had a baby. There's so many good things happening. Our child's doing well. I don't know, whatever it is in a person's life. And there's that like tremendous gratefulness. Sometimes we're asking Hashem for something we need. And like you described, we're pegging Hashem from the bottom of our, of our hearts, from the depths of our heart, from the, you know, the deepest part within us, like Hashem, give us this Yeshua, you know, give this person the Rafua, give this Yeshua, whatever the person is going through. And then I realized there's, there's also another time where Dominic Hashem, I mean, there's probably more than this, but sometimes we're just saying, Hashem, hold on, like, hold me. Like, bring me through this. Let me get through this. And it's such a deep tefillah of like, I'm holding on tight. Hashem, I'm holding on to you. Like, help me get through this. Help my family get through this. Help my mother get through this. And I was reading this song that I wrote a number of years ago for my students, actually, for the program that I made for them. Uh, I wrote a song and I was looking it over just recently. And there were two lines in the song that like hit this spot. And it was, um, Hashem, I turn to you to find the strength to fight. As my loving father, I beg, please hold me tight. And now when I wrote the song, I can't remember what I was thinking, what I had in mind when I wrote those words. But it hit me now. Like sometimes with Dami Hashem, we're saying, Hashem, give me the strength to go through this. Hashem, hold me tight. I just need you to hold me. And um that that type of tefillah is a very important tefillah, and it's coming from a very different place. And when a person is going through a painful time, you know, they're not saying, you know, thank you, Hashem. Maybe they're at a place that they can't think about all the things they're grateful for. Of course, if a person can, you know, whatever is going through a challenge, and can think about the things they have that they're grateful for, and they could dive in from that place. It's a beautiful thing. But sometimes a person in a situation like, I can't think of anything to thank Hashem for right now. And what am I asking for? It seems like it's all over. It seems like there's nothing I could even ask. There's that next level. Like, Hashem, I'm holding on. I'm holding on for dear life. It's it's a very deep, strong tefillah that, you know, I think strengthens the relationship in even a deeper level. I mean, no one should have to go through that, but everybody has challenges and pain and, and holding on to Hashem during those times strengthens our relationship with them. I was listening with a bated breath 
I don't think I've ever listened as carefully to someone say a story the way you just said that story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. It was really heartfelt, very inspiring. And it also has a, a message, a, a message that has so much depth to it, where you're talking about a level of davening that we don't usually think about when we open up our sitter. Thank you. I do want to talk about inspiring others. I know giving over a story like this has affected me personally, but I specifically want to talk about inspiring our children to daven. I I can talk about my own family and, you know, it's Sunday or there's no school and I say, okay, daven. And then I met with a lot of protests and groans. What am I doing wrong? How do I inspire my kids to daven? Okay, that's a, a very good question. I think a, a very big question that I think so many parents and teachers are are dealing with. Um, so, you know, and th- this could be a talk unto itself. That's the truth. But I'll I'll try to give just a few pointers. I just I always like to be very honest, and I want to say my kids are still little, so I can't. You know, my oldest is you know just turning seven, Baruch Hashem. So I can't. You know say someone who has an older child and is really struggling and coming to give their advice from like a person who has dealt with this and done this and has it all under my belt. At the same time, Baruch Hashem, I've been teaching seventh grade, which is, you know, that age for quite a number of years. And um, so I deal with, you know, that, that 12, 13 year old resistance uh, to davening. But I'll, I'll talk more from a, a parent's perspective right now. Um, so I mentioned earlier, like the role model that my parents were, I think that's step number one. Um, children need to see that davening happens um, in their parents' life as well, and the parents value davening, and davening is so important to them. So that that role modeling uh, is a huge, huge, uh, has a huge impact on a child. I do want to say that that's not enough. Like, I've heard, um, I, I've been, you know, at a teacher's convention, and I once heard a teacher say, you know, I'm going to role model davening to my students. And, you know, I'm not going to tell them to daven because then I'm going to have that resistance that you're talking about. And they're going to watch me and I'm going to daven properly and they're going to see that. And that will, you know, get them to daven. And I really don't believe in that because, of course, role modeling is important. But like anything in life, there is so much encouragement this child needs to get them to davening. Role modeling is the first and very important step. But that's not the only step. Like to think that, you know, I'm just going to live perfectly to me. And now my daughter, you know, that's going to be enough. To, to get her to, you know, be perfectly pleased as well, no matter what her friends do. And I'm going to, you know, live a very, from chassidish life, and my child's going to be that way. We know that our children need a lot more. Of course they need a role model. So what else can we do? I think that in every home, there are the things that are important. There are things that are made a big deal of. Uh, you know, some some houses, kids have all that types of lists, lists of the jobs they have and they get rewarded or they get money or prizes or they're earning towards something, right? Children get rewarded for having Derek Harris, which is a very important thing for doing well in school, for getting good marks, whatever it is. And sometimes davening for whatever reason falls through the cracks. And I think it's really important. We have to celebrate davening. We have to make a big deal about davening in our home. Um, what, whatever age the child depends, whatever age the child is and whatever their needs are at that time. But Davening has to has to be made a big deal of, like hearing about davening, um, celebrating davening. A child comes home with the best davener in the newsletter. Like that is the biggest accomplishment, right? I, I, my mother would ask, how are the students davening? Like that is the 
biggest celebration that we could have, a, a child, you know, being the best avenue and, and the child who is struggling, what can I do to encourage them? Um, you know, what can I offer them to maybe help them, to, to guide them? Sometimes it's going to be a prize. And, and I don't think we should underestimate what prizes are at certain ages. Sometimes it's, it's talking, sometimes it's Brian Giesen, you were inspired by a story. I think giving over stories to our children really does more than, you know, we can imagine to them. Um, but I also think there is another layer here. And the other layer doesn't happen during davening time. It's not like, okay, right now, everyone take out your scissors and this kid doesn't want to daven. And I think going back to davening is all about connections, about relationships. Bringing Hashem into our lives, in our day-to-day lives, in our conversation is a huge part of that relationship, and that will impact the davening. And what do I mean by that? So making an effort in, in our, you know, when we're talking to our kids, when we're talking at the supper table, to talk about Hashkacha Pratis that happened, to look for Hashkacha Pratis, to point out the Hashkacha Pratis, to thank Hashem, to say thank you, Hashem, for things that happened, to train our children to say Baruch Hashem, of course, also by Ruhmah, I think of that, us saying Baruch Hashem, right? We make plans, it's always as a Hashem, for the simplest things. I remember as a child, every time we came home from wherever, it could have been the supermarket, my mother would park the car and she would say, you know, she would say it in Yiddish, but in, I'll say it in English. She'd say, Baruch Hashem, we came home. You know, like, Baruch Hashem, we arrived home safely. You would think we took a plane from Australia back to California, but like, it was a trip. It could have been a five minute drive. It could have been an hour drive, but it was like, Baruch Hashem, we came home. Recognizing in our lives that every single thing comes from Hashem and, um, you know, pointing that out, even simple things, I think really impacts our children. Um, and, you know, and I, I said a story, I want to share another story. I also think that when we um, point out, kids sometimes get caught up in like, oh, I daven for this person and look what happened, they passed away, right? And I daven for this and I didn't get what I wanted. And, you know, it's really, it's really hard for this child. Look, look, I'm davening. It seems like Hashem is not listening. And that's why I think it's really important to point out to children when things do work out. Oh, look, we davened for that. Oh, look, right? That cousin got engaged. Baruch Hashem, right? We've been davening for her. Oh, this one had a baby. Oh, you did well. We davened. You should do well on your chidon test. And you did, right? Pointing out, like making the children realize, look, Hashem listens. And that impacts a child and empowers them. Like, oh, Hashem does listen to me. Um, I So the, the story happened when I was teaching in Los Angeles. Um, the school gets accredited. And it's a huge deal. They put thousands of dollars and many, many months into this accreditation process going smooth. Um, it's a three and a half day you know, search, if you want to say, that the accreditation committee comes and they check everything. And at the end of their, you know, entire um, visit and checking out teachers and students and speaking to parents and administration and office and books and everything and finances. Um, they then decide whether or not they're going to credit the school, if they're going to credit the school for one year, three years, six years, um, six years, it would be the longest. And of course, everybody prepares themselves. The teachers make me, the school makes meetings with teachers to prepare the teachers, how to respond right to the committee. If you're asked questions, um, and teachers have to read like this really thick book. So they know, they know everything going on. So they, they look, uh, you know, very knowledgeable and they know what's going on in the school, et cetera, et cetera. And at that time, 
these committee members are able to walk into any classroom at any time and just sign on the back and watch and observe. So of course, teachers like prepare special lessons and, you know, do what you can to have beautiful presentations. And it was the third day of the visit. It was the fourth, it was three and a half days. So it was the half day, it was the fourth day that they were there. And it was a Wednesday. And this woman walks into my classroom, my seventh grade classroom, towards the end of davening. Now, I don't think they're supposed to come in during davening. They're supposed to watch teaching, but I couldn't kick her out. And I was very uncomfortable um, because it was Shemines, right? The girls are davening Shemines, right? And when they're done, there's that like, Oh, you know, there's that weird time where like some girls take longer, other girls are sitting. Of course, I encourage them to say, tell them while you're waiting or, you know, but some girls are just fidgeting with things on their desk. They're waiting for everyone to finish, right? They're saying quietly, you know, they're going to wait to think like, you know, or whatever they were going to say together. And there's just, like this awkward silence. Um, and this woman's in the back with her paper writing notes <laughs> and, um, you know, it was what it was. I couldn't do anything about it. And then it was time to thank Lekenu, and I told the girls to stand up. We did thank Lekenu, Elenu, and we got up to tell him. And Hashem, I thank Hashem for putting this thought into my mind. Hashem, I said to this woman, we're about to say a prayer for those who need a speedy recovery. Now, she was not Jewish. She was the principal of a Catholic school. And I said to her, we're about to say a prayer for those who uh, need a speedy recovery. Is there anyone you would like us to have in mind? And she said, well, actually, yes, Robert Brown. So I read the list, you know, and I said, Robert Brown, of course, the girls are like giving little giggles. And, you know, we said, and with that, Davening was over and this woman left the classroom. I was not able to show her any teaching presentation. She um, got her Davening and she left. Um, the day was over. My my day was over. I teach. Uh, I taught only in the morning. I went home, and it was about like two thirty. I get this call from the school, and my students are on the other line, and they're very excited, and they're calling to tell me that this lady, her name was Mrs. Johnson. I still remember her name because she, she wrote a card. You know, thank you for having me in your classroom and for your prayers, and, and she signed her name. So um, she came back. She had left school because this was the half day. So they were going to be in school that day only to like 12 or 1 o'clock. So she had already left. And she came back to the class a little after 2. And she said to them, girls, I want to tell you that I have a colleague who rides a motorcycle who was hit by a car who was taken to the hospital. I asked you to pray for him this morning. They thought they would need to do a serious surgery. And I just got a call that he's being released from the hospital. And she was crying. This woman is standing in front of the seventh grade class. She's not Jewish. And she's crying and she's telling them, thank you for your prayers. And they were so excited. They called me up. And I could tell you as a teacher, the davening in that class for the next while was so different. They were so empowered. Hashem listened to our tefillah. Now they have a lot of questions like, why did Hashem heal this woman's you know, friend? And how about all the rest of the people on our tefillah? But putting that aside, it's like, that that feeling of empowerment, Hashem listened. We daven and Hashem listened, right? So giving our children that gift of bringing Hashem into every part of life. Bar Hashem, you did well on the test day. Bar Hashem. Oh, you had a good day in school. Bar Hashem. And all of that is not related, yes, maybe specifically to davening, but all of that will come together to help our children and our students really feel more connected. And then when governing time comes, um, you know, 
we'll see that. That will show up in the davening. I also want to make reference to the story I said in the beginning of that student who, you know, she was going through a hard time. She didn't want to daven. And then when I said the thing about my uncle and Abdinus and the Nishmas, she said she was going to daven and that totally transformed her. Sometimes finding something personal for a child, right? Davening for something personal. Is there some, do we know someone who could use the tefillah? That could also help a child, right? Finding a, a what, what could we daven for today? Who could we daven for today? Is it something in our life? Is it someone we know? Um, that can also help us, you know, encourage and inspire our children. What can we thank Hashem for today when we're davening? You know, with my students, I do a tefillah journal, right? What do we want to ask Hashem? What do we want to thank Hashem for? Kind of personalizing that relationship with Hashem will help long run in their davening. I love this so much. I love this conversation. And I just want to... Um add one point to people who are listening and heard Mushki say she davens every day and hear Mushki's inspiration. And if you're listening to this and you're inspired and you're going to try wonderful, but if you're listening to this and you feel some sort of guilt for not having done this in the past, I want to remind you that guilt is not a Jewish concept, right? For some reason we've attached it to Judaism, but it's not a Jewish concept. So whatever you've done in the past or whatever you're planning on doing in the future, baby steps and growth is really all that, um, this relationship is about, just like any relationship is about. Mushki, as women on a practical sense, um, I think a lot of us struggle like with time management, like really women today are really carrying a very, very large burden that's not just in the home, but outside the home. And if a woman is listening to this and is inspired and wants to start davening a little bit more, but it's a little bit daunting to daven the entire davening, what do you think she should start with and what is a woman's obligation in regards to davening? Okay. So women, women do have a chiv to daven. Um, you know, there's this concept out there that women don't have to daven. Some of you will hear, you know, young girls, but women don't have to daven. So for sure we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, a girl, a single girl, for sure there's a chiv to daven and even a married woman. Now, of course, everybody should speak to their of or, you know, what they're up to and, you know, how this fits into their life. If they're a mother of little kids and they're, I think, the mitzvah and, you know, all that, um, are they obligated to, to still daven? But what, how much do they have to daven? What does a woman have to daven? And I guess that's the question. And there are different opinions. There are those who say that and a personal tefillah in my day, just talking to Hashem, that's enough. That, that's enough to be guys. However, the Altareva holds that uh, a woman would, should say, Shema, you know, Bahayyamer, Shema Tvishmanasre. That is a woman's obligation of davening, of course, the more the better, but definitely that is the, the minimum obligation. And again, there there is room to say a, a woman who's taking care of her children, um, you know, the the that chiyav does not apply, but you know, everyone should ask their own rabbi. But in general, the chiyav for women does apply. A woman does have an obligation to daven, to take part of her day. Uh, and to say these parts of Berchat HaShachar, Shema and Shema And Shema Nasser Mincha. And Shema Mincha. Oh, gosh. Right. Okay, so that one I didn't know. Berchat from what I understand, I'll let you know if uh, it's otherwise, but uh, from what I understand, it's Berchat HaShachar, Shema and Shema Nasser Mincha. Okay. Shema Mincha, I feel, is, is so much harder than the first part of what you just said. Okay. Okay. I, I'm going to have to digest that now. Um, what is one message you would like our listeners to hear about tefillah? What's your parting message that you want to leave them with? The one is, you know, I don't know if you know Mrs. Kaplan from Tzvast. Do you know her? 
Sarah Kaplan? Yes. Okay. Unbelievable. Sarah. Unbelievable woman. So she had a stroke a number of years ago. And um, I called her after, sometime after, and I said to her, you know, Ms. Kaplan, how are you doing? She was, she was my teacher in seminary. And I felt very connected to her. And I said, how are you doing? And she said to me, she once heard that Merdach up Duncan, Merdach Betten. We always have to thank Hashem and we have to ask Hashem. So, you know, she was going through a, a, a challenging time. She was recovering from the stroke. She was paralyzed on part of her body. She had lost part of her speech. And that message really stayed with me for so long. There's always what to thank Hashem. We have to say thank you. Like she said, thank you, Hashem. I'm alive, right? She, she lived through that. But there's more to ask. And we should never think like, oh, I can't ask Hashem for so much. Like, you know, <laughs> I'll just ask for a little. You know, Hashem could do anything. And so we should approach Hashem, up Duncan, thank you, Hashem, thank you for what you've given me, thank you for my life, thank you for everything. And at the same time, I need this. I, and I needed it, like we said earlier, I needed to serve you. I needed to be a yid. I needed to fulfill my role as a mother. I needed to fulfill my role as a wife. I needed to fulfill my purpose in the world that you put me here for. So I think that's a very important message. And and I want everyone to take away from this, like you said, not to be overwhelmed or feel guilty. Everybody's different, and, and no one's here to judge anyone else's life. But in whatever capacity it works for you to put Sila in the day, when it's Sila, it's going to be there. It's, it's going to be, the basis will be there in however long it's going to be and whatever capacity is in, like we said earlier, whatever Kavana is going to be there, um, that's going to ground us. It's going to ground us in our day. It's going to ground us in our relationship and our connection to Hashem. And I think every person who does that is going to feel grateful. Um, you know, sometimes when we spend so much time figuring things out and, and, uh, and like, you know, something's going wrong and this seems to be going wrong. And we could just stop and say like, Hashem, help me. Like maybe, maybe we'll get that help. And that will save us all that. Right. So to, to train ourselves and to give ourselves, and I want to see a gift. It's a gift that we could turn to Hashem, whether it's being so grateful and seeing it that comes from Hashem, whether it's we're going through a struggling time and asking Hashem, Hashem, please tell me, or whether it's we're going through a really challenging time and we're like, Hashem, please hold me. It is a gift that we have that relationship. It is a gift that we have that Tzila. It's a gift that we could talk and turn to Hashem and, you know, we should tune into it. I did um, write a song, like I said, it's a story into itself. I'm not particularly a songwriter, but I needed it and the friend I was relying on to write it for me uh, last minute couldn't do it. And Hashem helped me through and he helped me write this song for my students. Um, and I'm going to ask you to play it because I think it's a beautiful message to leave with, but I just want to pull out a few lines before, um, you know, that I think to focus on, that are messages that I think we could we could walk away with. Um, and the, the song I said, I called the song to feel my connection because it was going with the program that I made. And feel my connection, I want to be close to you. Like we recognize, we want this relationship with Hashem. We want to be close to Hashem. So tefillah is my outlet. It's, it's my way of strengthening that relationship. And when I approach tefillah that way, it's not like, oh my gosh, I have to dab now. It's like, I just have a couple minutes. Let me just, you know, dab in. Um, and there's another two uh, lines in the song that say, everything I have, my life, all that I am, I owe to you, Hashem. Uh, when, like, when we could stop and recognize, like, everything I have, my life, all that I am, like, it's Hashem. It's Hashem. We will be filled with gratitude to Hashem. We will want to thank Hashem. And, um, and towards the end of the song, and there's a couple lines there. It says, Hashem, you know me best. 
only good you've given me. I have the strength. I need to be all that I can be. Just realizing that, yes, when we go through challenges and life is not easy and everybody's going through their own challenges, just remembering Hashem is putting me through this. Hashem is giving me the strength to get through this. Hashem is holding on. He's going to help me. I have everything I need. The life that Hashem gave me, the good that Hashem gave me, the challenges that Hashem has given me is what I need in my life to be able to do my shlachas. And when we keep that in mind, we'll be able to come to Hashem. We'll be able to approach Hashem. We'll be able to dive into Hashem. And like I said, some days may be feeling it more and some days feeling it less, but it will just, that, connection, that depth of connection will be very strong. Our kids will feel it and see it. We'll be able to give it to them. And, the, you know, as Hashem, we should see in a clear, revealed way that Hashem listens to our tefillah in a, a revealed way and He gives us what we are asking for. A yearning deep within I want to do what's right But sometimes I'm in darkness And confused I need more light Hashem, I turn to you To find the strength to fight As my loving Father I beg, please hold me tight I'm searching for connection, focus and direction. My sitter guides me through you A yearning deep within, I want to do what's right. But sometimes I'm in darkness and confused, I need more light. Hashem, I turn to you to find the strength to fight. As my loving Father, I beg, please hold me tight. I'm searching for connection, focus and direction. My Seder guides me through you. Tefillah's my connection I want to be close to you Davening's my protection My growing bond through and through Everything I have My life, all that I am I owe to you, Hashem With each tefillah I say I feel closer than before Your love to me I feel I am certain, I am sure No matter when and where I know that you are here My Father, you love and care Nahai, protection my growing bond through and through everything I have my life all that I am I owe to
Nadai. With each fila I say, I feel it closer than before. Your love to me, I feel I am certain, I am sure, no matter when and where, I know that you are here, my father. My davening guides the way I'm empowered, it's so clear I know why I am here It's real deep and true It helps pull me through The challenges I face Hashem, you know me best Only good you given me. I have the strength I need to be all that I can be. How lucky and rich I am. Hey, yeah, they precious Thank you so much, Mushki, for joining us today and inspiring us all to have personal connection and a personal communication in our most valuable and central relationship, which is our relationship with Hashem. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Rizki. And thank you, Sarah. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Nigan provided by Hazan David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you. Thank you.